Hello. So uh, this is uh, definitely not the second time of trying uh, with Sir Lord Captain, my captain, Dan Bennett. Um, for those of you who don't know Dan, uh, if you've ever heard of uh, Ogilvy or if you've ever heard of Rory Sutherland, uh, Dan is uh, the guy who uh, looks after the behavioural science unit at uh, all division at, uh, at, at, at Ogilvy and uh, is a great friend, a legend, a gentleman and uh, just knows everything about behavioural science. One of the questions I always get asked, uh, relatively often actually, is, is um, how on earth do you get into behavioural science? And I guess that's possibly a good way to start out. How on earth did you get into this uh, this world? Um, into this mad, mad I, world. I think I remember you telling me there was a funny story. Yeah, I'm going to be so much better the second time around, much more articulate, none of the ums and ahs. Um, no, the um, <laughs> well, there's one way of finding if that's true. Um, yeah, so originally, I actually wanted to, the funny story is that I originally was really interested in philosophy, was a bit dyslexic, and genuinely selected psychology by accident at A level, and then eventually carried on doing that. I got six weeks into my philosophy classes, thought they were awesome, but was really confused as to why my friends who had also taken philosophy weren't in there. So it <laughs> turns out um, I absolutely loved. <laughs> understanding psychology why we do what we do and um and really uh took that through to to university and then and then after that was in that that similar space that everybody was in of kind of watching loads of ted talks at the time and kind of just understanding lots about the discipline and um came across rory sutherland's and dan Ariely's ted talks they were entertaining they were useful they were um there was something in them I don't I don't, don't like to pretend at the age of 21 that I was understanding all of this I think that's the stuff that you understand in retrospect but it felt like um <laughs> there was some massive value in um in bringing behavioral science to the private sector in a way that you would have um as an outsider would have just presumed that it was all totally used already do you know what I mean because you hear those, those great stories that kind of supermarkets spot yeah. the smell of bread into the aisle and put the eggs at the back you just assume that everybody was totally on top of behavioral science but it turns out it a lot of it was kind of a lot of happy accidents or kind of individual consultants kind of driving that and actually there was a there's a real space for kind of doing it um uh, more formulaically so um yeah so a bit of an accident at the beginning a, a, a happy accident and um yeah thrilled that behavioral science is is still a growing space 10 years on yeah and it's um i mean i i always think you're yeah i'm i feel very very flattered and honored to know you and the reason why is i think you know one of the reasons everyone lots of people know about rory sutherland obviously but what you don't know is these great people uh part of the reason why they are so great is because they surround themselves with amazing people i think that's true of all of us in life right the we sort of we're all in and up to a point standing on the shoulders of giants and i think one of the reasons why rory is so great is because he knows you <laughs> so you you you're always uh read you know you're, you're reading a lot of stuff that maybe he isn't and then there's 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 that sort of you know rory loves chatting doesn't he uh and it's uh it's these you know i see him when he's with you and with your team you can see it's like his his eyes are just bright like you can see him just just feeding in all this information uh, it must be amazing to do because you you know you're working at Ogilvy so you get this sort of you've got a whole wacky creative team as well which must really help uh, for a behavioral science division it is and I think uh, Rory is one of the most open-minded um inclusive people that I know do you know what I mean he is just so, so open to all ideas and mm. um 
which which is which has been such a part of the DNA of the business, and um, and naturally, I mean, yeah. we all know, don't we? Kind of in creative environments, um, there are, there are people that can really thrive in them, and then people whose kind of personality just doesn't suit a, a creative environment. Kind of, you know, there's a there's a we do a, a suite of kind of psychological <laughs> measurement tools, and one of those um, measurements is I think it's need for closure or need to kind of get to an answer, and creative people have this special ability as you know to not need to know the answer straight away yeah. and can kind of ponder on it and sit on it for kind of weeks months years or, or ever uh, or ever <laughs> yes yeah. yeah um or ever yeah and and so so but there are some people who when get given a complex question there's a there's something in their tummy that really doesn't sit well and they just have to get to an answer quickly and that doesn't allow for the kind of the exploration time often in order to kind of solve some of these bigger stickier challenges so a lot of the dna of kind of i think of rory and, and the team is finding people with a a low need for closure a people that can kind of sit on problems for a while you know keep to deadlines but sit on problems within a while and, and, and be comfortable with that because often the stickier challenges um, don't reveal themselves straight away and do take multiple inputs it's very it's very often that we would solve a, a challenge in ogilvy consulting in the behavioral science practice without having many different inputs and, and collating kind of many different on unknown data sources often in order to get there so you kind of got to be comfortable with not knowing the answer for quite a while usually yeah it kind of reminds me of hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy stuff it's you know the the question is more important than the answer i think that's probably a, a, an interesting insight for advertising it's more about the questions often um than, than, than getting exactly the right answer um but uh yeah i mean you you uh for those of you who don't know, Dan actually helped write the first ever behavioral science course <laughs> that we made, um, which was uh, incredibly fun. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know whether it's whether it's worth going back to the, the beginning, uh, sort of before the behavioral science team was, you know, the big sort of multinational global team it is now, because you, you're, you're now everywhere, right? Everywhere. And we've worked, I mean, in kind of 20, 30 different countries around the world, many cultures, many contexts, and... Um... <coughs> That has been an amazing thing. I mean, kind of the first two or three years of the business was really about kind of doing lots of the work that um, that kind of needed to be done in terms of kind of just matching principles to context and just kind of go, okay, we've got these, we've got this letter, we've got this call center, we've got this um, this website, and therefore, okay, we know that these principles of behavioral science exist. We know that if we utilize them, we'd be more likely to get to be effective. Um, so let's just start to match those 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 principles of the context and we'd probably call that kind of behavioral tidying up you know there's an element of kind of just trying different things with an experimental mindset and and getting some amazing wins we had um with uh with an airline we use the um, endowment effect and you know the endowment effect is that idea that you frame something as being positioned and kind of owned by someone to kind of increase their ownership so they're more likely to to to, to, to act on it so we changed, you know, when you go on an airline's booking website, you type in your details, you select where you want to go, what class of travel, all that type of thing. And then you click the button, find flights. So we endowment affected that button and added the word my in the middle. So find my flights. And it had a significant increase in the, in the conversion um, of, of that button and all the way to, to purchase. And um, 
in in the rate of kind of millions of pounds so especially the first couple of years of the business there was lots of those kind of butterfly effects to be found of having an experimental mindset testing quite a few principles and seeing what worked kind of quite kind of quite alchemic in that sense of just kind of dropping them in and seeing seeing what happened and you know lots lots of not you know non-events as well um and then after that i think behavioral science started to get a little bit more productized as the questions um that came into the practice were less kind of from kind of curious clients wanting to try something new and kind of like an in, in, innovation type way um, and more about kind of really wanting to supercharge their existing efforts. So if it was about kind of changing culture or employee well-being or all of these nebulous things that when you think about it, if we boil them down to their kind of behaviours, um, we can actually tackle them far more powerfully. So, you know, if you think about an organisation's culture, it really boils down to nothing more than a series of behaviours that people do. So if we understand um, that, then we can build kind of behaviour change projects around some specific behaviours that if people did them would be driving the culture. So there was lots more of those projects that came about, which was really kind of using behavioural science to kind of, as a horizontal discipline, to supercharge lots of different efforts, whether it was culture or um, experience optimization or language development or behavioral campaigns or whatever it was and then very recently um, I think the, the kind of the, the the future of behavioral science is getting much more towards um, bringing in data science there really isn't or shouldn't be much difference between data science and behavioral science so whether in the past it and it still can be very useful to do this um, to kind of mix principles with context the, the, the tricky thing about behavioral science is we don't know which principle works with which person for which behavior in which context. And so if we can map those together, we'll be in a much stronger place. So that's what a lot of our work in more recent years has been about kind of combining that data science kind of pro audience profiling piece to understand people much better beyond just their demographics, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and to be able to kind of have much more precise recommendations of, okay, we've got this person with this personality, or kind of on average, most likely in a second to have this personality, Therefore, this is the persuasion strategy that we can build on. Now let's make something amazing and creative that people love and want to do, but that is rooted in all of those insights. Um, so yeah, the, the, we're in a different place now than we were 10 years ago, put it that way. Yeah, it sounds like you've got a, a, a better a better telescope on uh, on your gun or something, if that's sort of another that's analogy. Nice. Um, did you say that you were, you were using... Um, is it the ocean framework? I think that, that you talk about a little bit, and I'm I'm saying this in in no way to preempt that uh, we've got a new course coming out with you, that may or may not touch on some of these things that you're talking about. But um, yeah, I don't know if it's possible to explain a little bit more about the that facts. I know you you were saying you used that a bit more. Yeah, I mean, absolutely a product placement at the top of the uh, of the screen right now. The um, the. Um... <laughs> It's a great example that I really love, and and um, and people may have seen this online, but it's absolutely fantastic. Which is, we all can picture Prince Charles and the Prince of Darkness, Ozzy Osbourne. They were two very different people. You would never mistake Prince Charles or Ozzy Osbourne in the street. But if we looked at their demographics right. and their behavioural data, as we often do in marketing, we would see that they are both male. They are both born in 1948. They're both raised in the UK. Both married twice, both lived in a castle and both wealthy and famous. If we look at their demographic and behavioural data, we would absolutely think they're identical. However, if we look at their personality profiles, if we look at their social and moral worldviews, if we look at their 
cognitive thinking styles and the way that they've that they think and naturally think then we would see them as totally different people so it strikes me that it's much more useful not just to rely on whether they're a millennial woman or you know a gen z male um the strike is that those things are always going to be helpful for targeting but not always going to be the things that lead us to the insight to know how to persuade someone and so a lot of the work recently has been around really really trying to profile audiences based on those metrics so we can then create kind of product and services that really suit who they are and how they think so on, on the on the it's, it's amazing so if you're not familiar with um ocean or the big five personality traits it really boils down to five so one of them is openness. Um, so are you open to new experiences or not? And we all vary on that. And as you get, as I go through these, you'll be able to think of friends and family that are extremes on either end. Um, openness tends to decline with age as well. Um, after the age of 60, usually it, it goes down quite fast. Um, conscientiousness, are you kind of a Hermione Granger or not? Do you hand your homework in or not? Creative people tend to be less conscientious um, and, and very high on openness. Um, <laughs> So that can that can be interesting for an organisational culture, for timesheets, etc. Um, then we've got extroversion and introversion, and we all we all and sometimes you can be a bit of a bit a bit in the middle, a bit of both. But people tend to kind of in, index um, uh, either extrovert or introverted. Um, agreeableness. So agree, agreeable people are terrible at negotiations, I think. Um, and um, and you can kind of a lot of that is down to kind of like. Um, uh, past experiences and and the like and then there's kind of emotionally stable or neurotic um do you do you kind of fly fly off the handle quite easily or, or not um and that's probably that's a very unfair characteristic of the uh, of the, <laughs> the element there but um but essentially once yeah. you know kind of more about someone's profile you can then know how to persuade them a bit better so we have some research to suggest that if you're extroverted which i think you are chris then, then you're much more likely to be persuaded Maybe. by social proof, um, you know, knowing what everybody else is doing. Whether if you're introverted, um, you know, some some situations you're much more likely to be persuaded by loss aversion and people pointing out what you stand to lose rather than what you stand to gain. If you're neurotic, um, then you then kind of warning people about kind of the downsides and action is helpful, but not to go too far um, along the journey with, with that because it will kind of just bring the shutters down um it's helpful to use an authority figure with yeah. with with people on the neurotic end of the stale uh, uh, neurotic end of the spectrum um because um that again helps with that kind of compliance thing so if we know more about who someone is we can know which principles to use if we know which principles to use we can create those better product and experiences and services that um that are gonna you know engage people did, did you find something interesting about yourself when you learned about this Oh, that's a great question. I've always known I'm very agreeable, but I think there's some some magic. I think I'm the same. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. Um, we both agree. Um, yeah. um, um, this is why we should we, we should never be allowed to have a negotiation together. The um, but we um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we um, but we um, but I think there's something about having things a little bit quantified about yourself, which is which is very confirmatory. And so I do think, yeah, there was those elements that I was kind of aware of, um, and also it's one of those things where people are desperate to have like the right one. So you know, people think, well, being open is the right one, being um, conscientious is the right one, extrovert is the right one. Um, 
But it turns out, it depends on which end of the spectrum you are, it just depends what kind of job you're good at. You want, you know, Rory's amazing example, which, which cracks me every time, is that um, in terms of kind of having people that are open-minded and try new things and creative versus people that are closed-minded and follow a rigid process all the time, you don't want when you're sat on the tarmac someone who's fixing the aeroplane to go, oh, let's try anti-clockwise this time <laughs> against their training. You know, you want them to follow rules <laughs> and processes. So, you know, there are times when you need, when you need um, a, a different profile. And there's a lot of research to say that the happiest you are is if you've found a job that matches your psychological profile because you kind of can't fake it and it doesn't really change that much. It'd be great if there was a tool that existed uh, that had that. Maybe there is. If, if there is, please let me know. <laughs> anyone's listening and they know please let us know um (laughs) what was um i mean i know you you work with an incredible array of clients um are there any uh sort of interesting ones past or present where you know maybe some some of these kind of insights have helped lead you to uh to an elegant behavioral solution there was one that really won. We've had yeah, <laughs> there's more than one, but um, but there was one that I, I really find interesting to talk about <laughs> because um, it was a really lateral solution to an age-old problem, and it was all to do with hand washing. And we've all had a crash course in hand washing over the past couple of years. I mean, I know I'm pretty good at it, and most of the time the habit's sticking now, um, which is pretty good. However. Um, the trick to that was buying expensive soap. As soon as I bought expensive soap, I washed my hands every single time because I was just loving the smell. Um, but there's, there's a really great, great solution, which is a, not really a kind of an advertising solution that you might expect coming out of a, a big creative um, network, but it was quite a small solution. And so essentially it was, um, it was getting people to wash their hands when they go into a food processing factory and when they leave a food processing factory. Now, this was an abattoir. So you would expect that hand-washing behaviour would naturally happen because you wouldn't want to bring any nasties into the factory and you wouldn't want to take any nasties home with you to your, to your family. However, dynamics are how they are and hand-washing wasn't happening to kind of the compliant rates that, that they needed to be. And that creates really big challenges because if you don't have the right level of hand-washing compliance in the, in the factory, um, it's, it becomes almost a billion-dollar problem because you have... Um, you know, collectively. So you have to pay a fine to the brands that you're doing product recall on. You have to do a product recall. You have to close the factory, cease kind of production and, um, and you know, kind of deep clean the entire place. And then obviously lose a bit of kind of reputational um, gain. Then you start to lose contracts ongoing. So, so, so just because we can't get the right level of hand washing in the factory has, you know, ongoing knock-on challenges. So, um, and, you know, for decades they'd tried every trick in the book so they tried paying people more to wash their hands they tried paying people less if they didn't wash their hands they tried group incentives they tried group disincentives they tried the blue lights they tried the education everything you can imagine just doesn't always get to the right level of kind of habitual hand washing that that one would like so what we were able to do is kind of travel over there this was in it was in chile i think and um and audit the environment for those really small elements in the environment that might be kind of nudging the behavior either way. And from there, we were able to kind of really identify the kind of the, the missing prompts um, and the, kind of the, the, the intervention that weren't really working. So what we managed to develop was quite a lateral solution. So it was essentially, we developed a hand stamp. 
it was a hand stamp with a sticky ink on the inside that we developed and the the sticky ink took the same amount of time to wash off your hands as was the the kind of the the amount of time that you have to wash your hands for so you'd have your hand stamped before you go into the hand washing bay you would then have to wash off that sticky ink which would mean that you're washing your hands for much longer and much more compliantly and then you would leave the hand washing bay either with a stamp saying you basically haven't washed your hands quite a social signal or a clean hand and you could you could carry on and we were doing quite stringent measurements and overnight we saw a 63% reduction in dirty hands by the presence of the stamp and no one at the beginning of the process it's what I find really interesting no one at the beginning of the process would have said to solve this kind of category billion dollar problem it would be through the power of a stamp you'd think there'd need to be some kind of regulation or scientific intervention or um, structural intervention but in fact the power of a little sticky stamp was um, was the thing that made the difference and even made the difference across all shifts. So the night shift is the one where you get some some quite 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 different some of the hand washing compliance rates because the management aren't around. It's 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 cloak of darkness, all those types of things. But it worked across all shifts and it kind of works in perpetuity too. So um, it's one of those kind of unexpected solutions that um, that I think that I think what I think re- really special about behavioural science is that. It's the missing seat at the table. I don't think it should be the only seat at the table. I think it's quite arrogant to think that behavioural scientists and, and no one else, thanks, can, can, can solve this one. And I think in the early days of behavioural science, there probably was a little bit of need to prove the discipline. And so I think kind of by, by inviting behavioural scientists, designers, researchers all together, in, people with an innovation mindset, to solve some of these problems and creative people as well, like behavior science and creativity is a great combination for solving some of these stickier challenges then we're starting to solve problems that other disciplines by themselves can't and so kind of working at the intersection of those things is actually getting us to solve challenges that haven't been solved before and i think that's the value add to behavioral science i think that's the if someone said what's the purpose of it you know i think it's to unite interesting disciplines to solve problems that can't be solved by kind of a a mono solution so i think that that's what's really exciting that's why even though it's a story about a sticky stamp it's actually a story about so much more really so much to unpack on what you've just said um <laughs> i've had a lot of coffee incredible story uh so yeah so congrats but um i mean a, a couple of things came to mind one one was just as you were as you were closing up there i was thinking actually you know, i think over the years um you know, sadly, the the importance of of advertising and their place in in companies has sort of laddered down uh, somewhat. It's, it's I think uh, where advertising used to have a seat at the table when business decisions were being made back in the day. Uh, I think that's very rare now, and it's interesting that sort of sounds like behavioural science is one of those ways to to help get that seat back. Um, and it's it's. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of that thing that Rory often says, which is advertising. Uh, in advertising, our job is often to make the new familiar and the familiar new. Um, and it's, I think it is that perfect bridge between maybe the business side of things and the creative side of things, um, where you can maybe explain why the creative works a bit more. 
because often I think the reason why advertising is put aside is because you can't really explain your working or your thinking. You know, it's sort of it's not like you're when you're in accounting where it's like I did this and so this happened. I think adding the behavioral science bit maybe helps with that maths bit. It's the you know we did this and so this happened because of X, Y, and Z. I think that's fascinating uh, point. So so firstly, bravo. Um, and secondly, just going back a little bit more into what you were saying is how on earth did you get to the solution of a, of a hand stamp apart from, um, you know, were you doing a lot of clubbing uh, when you were out in in uh, wherever you were in, in South America? And you, we got the, the, hand st- the inspiration from waking up with a hand stamp on our head. Yeah, sadly not. Um, sadly, yeah. that wasn't the case. Um, but um, a lot of the way that we get to the solutions is through... Um, lateral thinking techniques and lateral stimulation. Um, So what do we mean by that? So there's an element of um, what we believe is that every problem has been solved. It just hasn't been solved in your category yet. So what's really helpful, what you were saying about behavioral science being this kind of codification of persuasion, kind of this idea that it's it's a codex for, for how to change people's behavior. By boiling down challenges to their kind of psychological components and kind of the psychological barriers it allows us to then hunt outside of the category in a much more kind of sophisticated way to find how other people have overcome challenges of um, non-salience for example with with the hand stamp or um, a lack of kind of social feedback Um, that's what all the things the hand stamp was doing was giving you the idea that if I don't wash this off I'm going to have a little bit of kind of awkwardness when I leave here because I got my dirty stamp on my hand, and um, and we get a lot of that that by go going. Okay, let's hunt for lack of social feedback, or lack of kind of social compliance. Let's hunt for that in a range of different categories. You know, from the military to how airlines work to how you know f- far and beyond to get the inspiration of the kind of the mechanics that they use to to overcome those psychological challenges. And then we'll make it our own. We'll do it in our way, in our category. But we'll get that that inspiration. I think one of the, the best things that behavioral science can do is open up the solution space, if that makes sense. To kind of like get us to, rather than just having a good think about how we shift someone's behavior, let's have a more systematic kind of forensic exploration into how, how all the mechanics work. And then let's use that as creative stimulus to come up with our with our own way, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, um, and uh, and you're very good at it. So uh, congratulations. Stop it. Um, <laughs> the the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the other thing that I, I would be uh, remiss not to talk about is uh, is nudge stock. Um, I wondered. I mean, it, it's uh, nudge stock when we're recording this uh, at the end of May, so we're uh, we're not too far away from uh, from the tenth anniversary of nudge stock. Um, and I think you've you've been around since the start, I think, um, if I remember rightly. And I mean, because it, it started off as a, a sort of a, a bolt on to another festival, I think, if I remember rightly. I mean, I'm, I'm saying all this as we, again, uh, this is a, we're about to launch a, a, a totally free course celebrating Nudgestock. Uh, we've picked the best uh, talks from each of the last 10 years and, uh, and made it into a little course for everyone. But um, yeah, Dan, I thought it'd be amazing if you could just share a little bit about 
how it started and and where where it's gone to how it's evolved and and then maybe uh where it might be heading a lot to unpack there for you absolutely no and 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 we're so excited about nudge talk it's on the 10th of june it's gonna be 10 hours long um so it's gonna be pretty easy easy to remember in that sense and it's the 10th year as well so 10 10 10 um (laughs) That was actually quite a fluke. It wasn't actually what you would decide, but we're, we're very lucky on that. Um, so, yeah, so it, it began as, I mean, so, so our, our co-founders of the business, Jez Groom and Rory Sutherland, had the idea for the event and to really kind of galvanize um, a community around this kind of different way to solve challenges. And I think they had a belief in the early days to um, that Bavel Science applied in a creative way would solve challenges that other disciplines can't and so working that intersection can solve challenges other disciplines can't and so the festival began as as you said we went to prototyping so it started as kind of an addition to digital shortage which was a great place um for for us to start and we galvanized kind of hundreds of people around this this at the intersection of behavioral science and creativity and we had some amazing speakers even in the first year we had laurie santos who's a great expert in monkeynomics she now works a lot more in happiness we had Nassim Taleb um and the, you know the list goes on and on and um and for many years we did it kind of different seaside locations so we did it in Deal we've done it in Folkestone and we took hundreds of people um to to Folkestone and to Deal um to kind of experience um the best what? of Babel Science creativity <laughs> what's what's the seaside fascination apart from this you know good to get some sea air so the first one was that deal had um rory summer house nearby so i think that was, that was convenient for him but the, the real reason for going by the seaside was that um it's getting taking people to a context where they would think differently so we didn't want to create yet another we didn't want to chuck yet more money and yet more stuff into london where people would kind of nip across for a couple of hours and then nip away we wanted to make sure it was a festival that people were kind of bought into um and so we picked it by the seaside, put it in a context where you would naturally think differently and naturally kind of like step out for the full day. Um, and we also made it a great experience. We used to get a little gin and tonic for the train ride home and, and all, that, all that kind of thing. But the, but the idea is that you really want to make sure that the 500 people that came were complete kind of believers and, and really up for it. So we had a great, great community feel. And then the pandemic struck. And we went online and I think in the first year we had over 120,000 views of the content. So it went very quickly from kind of 500 to 120,000. And although we all miss our trips to the seaside, um, it's, it's amazing to be able to engage, especially as our team has become much more global, to engage a global audience. And, um, and kind of the speakers that we're able to get. Uh, last year we had John Cleese. Um, it would have been harder to get John Cleese to focus on, I imagine. Um, but it was really... Um, I would happily take the whole conference where John Cleese is, to be honest. But um, the, the kind of the quality of the speakers are, are, are amazing. And this year, it's our tenth anniversary, and so we've got some so a great suite of speakers. We've got um, Maya Shanker, who's the behavioral science lead at Google and used to be behavioral science lead at the White House. We've got uh, Milena Vinsky, who's a head of behavioral science at um, IBM and does a bit of their AI work as well. Um, we've got a super secret um, keynote speaker that I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but keep an eye out for that. And it's going to be, everyone's going to love it. It's going to be amazing. Um, and, um, and we've also got Dan Pink talking about his latest book as well. So it's, it's going to be an amazing, amazing day. We're doing, um, we're also this year 
because the downside of a, of a physical conference is that you don't get to meet like-minded others. You kind of just sat there um, watching the kind of the, the TV show broadcast at home. So this year we are we have built a custom-built metaverse that we're calling the Nudgeverse. So basically, a massive virtual art gallery that people can walk around. They can learn more about behavioral science. They can watch old nudge stock talks. They can learn a bit more about the metaverse as well and see, speak to our partners. But they can also speak to each other and network and meet each other. And um, and so people are hopefully people are gonna and you can you don't need the headset for that. It's even better with the headset, but you can do it through your browser as well. So hopefully people are gonna really enjoy going into the into the nudgeverse this year as um. As, as a new as a new addition to the to the Nudgestock family. Wow, that sounds amazing. Who, who have you built that with out of out of uh, interest? A company called Acast, who are part of Ogilvy. Okay, awesome. Uh, looking looking forward to that. Um, and what what were some of your highlights and some of your favourite talks um, in the past years, apart from the ones that you've done yourself, of course. <laughs> um, favourite talks. I, I thought it was such a special moment when we had John Cleese at Nudgestock because it was one of those people where we always, we always pride ourselves at Nudgestock of trying to get people who either don't do the kind of the normal speaker circuit or if they do, they do something that's quite bespoke to us. And we'd found out that John Cleese was kind of secretly kind of best friends with some kind of top psychologist and was really interested in to the psychology of creativity. And... Um, and but he hadn't really spoken that publicly about it for kind of many years, and so when we approached him and we, we talked about it, it was I think he enjoyed it, to, you know, speaking to his tribe as much as we we enjoyed having him there, and so it was a real kind of um, I think we feel like we discovered talent. We're not saying we discovered John Cleese, but we certainly managed to kind of find that. Um, <laughs> that I can't lay claim to that, but we certainly managed to find um, uh, another a, a side new topic. of it. Exactly. And, um, and I think yeah, Rory and John yeah. have been kind of best friends ever since. So um, that's what we're going for this year. And I think we're, you're going to see a lot. I don't want to spoil the fun for everyone. But on the on the Friday, the 10th of June, there's um, there's 10 hour content that it's going to be pretty special. That's amazing. And uh, to find that you just need to go to I think you've got your own website um, as well. Isn't it? So is it just nudgestock.com or is it .co.uk? Nudgestock.com. And, um, and the tickets are free. You can sign up now. And it takes just a couple of minutes and it's super easy. You'll get the emails and then you'll get your invitation to the nudge first as well. So, um, yeah, definitely nudge.com as soon as you can. It, it's it's definitely the, the best thing you'll do all year uh, as far as uh, events go. It's it's incredible. And um, I mean, are you next year, are you looking at perhaps possibly doing some sort of a hybrid thing? Or um, I mean, obviously, the digital side of it is, is so huge now. It'd be crazy to stop that. But um yeah do you think you'll get back to a to a hybrid something in in the next year or two it is something that we're exploring it's kind of tough because you have to make a choice about where you put the attention for the audience and the presenters like do you go for the if we do do hybrid right is is the focus the tens of thousands of people at home or is it the 500 people in the room like do the tens of thousands of people at home overlook Mm the 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 event of the of the in-person event or do the people at the event overlook the tv broadcast so there's all those kind of questions we've had some mad ideas in the past we did have a, an idea and we were very serious about it and never it very nearly happened um to host nudgestock at a theme park so we, we were planning to close the theme park for the day host nudgestock at it in, in a big venue in the center and then during the breaks people could go go on the rides 
And so that may one day still happen. We're also curious about holding it in, in a big top, um, but that's very logistically difficult in the summer um, because the weather, the British weather is so unpredictable. There's also a chance that we would broadcast kind of live from around the world, which would be amazing, kind of like a live aid style, go from all the different regions that we, that we operate in. So there's lots of different, lots of questions up for debate. The, um, so we genuinely are curious about what the Nodgeverse does this year. We, whether it becomes a place that people can network or whether it is a, a bit of a fad it's really hard to know um so so every year we experiment i mean one last year we did the big behavioral science workshop where we at the big, at the start of the day we were briefed live in front of you know all the people at home and then the team worked throughout the day to to do the work and then to present the work at the end of the day which is kind of terrifying and exciting at the same measure so Every year we do something different. Um, so perhaps next year, perhaps it'll be in a theme park, perhaps it'll be on a cruise ship. I mean, who knows? But we're, we're hopefully not going to follow convention, put it that way. <laughs> it won't be in a convention centre, it'll be in a non-convention centre. Yeah. <laughs> Good <one. laughs> I'd love, uh, love the idea of doing it at sort of a Legoland or something. Uh, <laughs> it would be, be brilliant fun. Or... Uh, Disney, I mean, they, they, they must uh, be a client of Ogilvy somewhere in the world. Um, I know we've got some Disney people on 42 courses, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, we can make some phone calls uh, after this and make a plan. <laughs> can I just say, I really <laughs> want to write an article. We can all go to Disneyland Paris or something. Or, yeah, I mean, or <laughs> the, the big daddy Walt Disney World. Um, I, I or, genuinely think yeah, it's, yeah. it's not cool to say that, um, you know, when people say, what's your favorite brand? Um, I've really wanted to say this for a while, that people say, what's your favorite branding? Oh, it's Nike, or oh, it's Google, and you know, all, all the great things that they do. Oh, it's Apple. But I genuinely think that Disney is one of the most impressive companies on the planet that has creativity at its heart. And, um, you know, from, from, from the very top to the very bottom, and kind of the acquisitions that they make um, and the rate of growth that they have, you know, you know almost it was 100 years on, it's just incredible the way that they're able to charge so much money for Walt Disney World. You can go to the Maldives for cheaper, I think, genuinely, if you get the right the right hotel. Yeah. And um, and yet they don't have a, a price perception issue. This the, the way that they're able to use creativity to create value is insane. I was watching um, a video the other day, and you can pay thousands of dollars to go and stay at a Walt Disney World resort, and they can have awful construction on like awful construction because they're always making it kind of bigger and better. And the way that they solve that problem isn't through offering massive discounts for the hotel room. It isn't through warning you ahead of time and getting you staying at the hotel and, and potentially not selling in the room. They give you, and we all in kind of pin badges, big collectible item in, in the parks. They give you a construction pin badge a limited edition construction pin badge for staying in the room that has construction in. And do they get barely any complaints because people are so happy to get this limited edition pin badge. You know, I stayed at Walt Disney World Resort and it was under construction. And you just think that's an amazing, creative, lateral, minimalist, you know, intervention that I, I don't know like many other companies that would get to that. So I, I've... I think Disney is one of the most one of the most impressive organizations. It's just not as cool to say that in in the marketing circles, but I think someone needs to say it. I feel like Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hundred percent agree with you. I think it's 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 a remarkable company, and I think 
part of the reason in my head would probably be that it's got a it's had a very clear and very solid foundation and vision laid out by its founder from the start and and it's still followed um and uh, and by and by companies that do that tend to be quite successful i think i think it's no uh, it's no fluke that ogilvy out of all of the other massive ginormous ad agencies it's one of the few that's still ogilvy like if you think of uh, Lionr or McCann, like a, a lot of these other sort of massive agency entities have, have joined other brands or are now brand X and Y um, joined together. Ogilvy sort of remained, it's, it's just Ogilvy. Um, and I think a part of that is because of David Ogilvy's uh, sort of foundation that, was, that it was built on and the, and the, the habits that, that, that he put on place. If anyone wants to look at that, I think if you Google David Ogilvy um, habits. You'll uh, you'll find um, lots of blog articles talking about it. I think I wrote one myself. Um, but yeah, I think when you have that foundation, it just makes things so much easier. Um, gives people it, 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 without you having to to say it out loud all the time. People know what they've got to do, and, and they know what 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 the company values. Uh, and, and most companies are very bad at doing that. Um, and it genuinely it's also why day to day. Of, people love Tesla partly so much, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, let, that was. Uh, I think um, we've uh, we've. It's a lovely place to land on, uh, a, ni- a nice uh, place to finish, and, uh, and 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 a nice point to ponder. But um, yeah, Dan, um, I, I adore you, uh, and uh, and thank you so much for being you and for taking the time to chat with me. Um, or with us and uh, yeah I, I wish you all the very very best with Nudstock I'm over the moon incredibly proud to be a tiny part in, in helping to sponsor it and uh, and yeah thank you for for, for, for all you do and, and, and if you want to uh, listen to Dan then obviously there are there's a couple of behavioral science courses uh, on 42 courses you can you can take and the, there's a new one coming up uh, uh, very shortly too uh, that will launch um, at Nudstock this year. So yeah, Dan, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you're you, a Chris, and a champion. And I wish you all the best. <laughs> and to just say, very grateful that you've made the the Nudstock course um, because I think it is a, a the Nudstock content over the years is an absolute treasure show. I mean, the massive team that put the heart and soul into kind of bringing the very best and the very most un- you know the unique people um, that that we do over over for Nudstock. And so to be able to take a course that walks you through the best of that, I think is going to be absolutely all killer no filler. So thank thank you for that. Cheers. I'll chat to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Take care.